0: Fun Parts is a show about, well, all our fun parts, but just a heads up that we'll be speaking pretty frankly about bodies, sexuality, spirituality, faith, and a host of other related topics. This episode includes references to sexual abuse and trauma, which may be difficult or triggering for some listeners. Also, you might not want to listen with your kids around. Finally, you can join the discussion on our Instagram page at Fun Parts Podcast. He's on Twitter,
1: and it turns into this just chemistry. And I'm and my heart is just raw. Though I'm coming off of the Stop standby for sinking. (laughs) Sink.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. My heart is raw. Steve is peeing. (laughs) Again. Gosh.
1: I mean, he's making
2: your
0: work very hard. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Damn was, it's always it. imagine that it's just Steve just got up and walked off. And just, <laughs> this didn't, emotional story. He, what a jerk. Didn't close the door. Just, Nothing.
3: Like, just
2: right there. Insert advertisement oh for incontinence or yeah. yeah. something yeah. okay? yeah. 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 Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Don't, don't
3: lose yeah. your thought. From Milieu Media Group, this is Fun Parts an exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone curious or convinced there must be more. With your hosts, Becky Patton, Latifa Alitas, Ashley Lusink, Luke Bronner, and me, Steve Weins.
0: Fun parts. So we were talking a little bit in the last episode about purity culture and sort of the damage that has been done. When I talk about purity culture, really what I'm thinking of is what was happening in Christian culture in the late eighties and nineties. And I just wanted to start with a story that I remember very specifically. I was probably 16 years old and I had a good friend whose name I won't share, but he was a very, very dear friend to me. And he went on a school trip and they were staying in a hotel room and there were, I don't know, probably 10 kids on this trip. And there was One girl who sort of had a reputation, you know, who's on the trip. She was in this class, whatever. And all of the kids are hanging out in a hotel room and joking around to and whatever. And someone dared them to have sex. And they did like everybody else left and they had sex. And he came home, having grown up in the same culture as me. And he confessed that to me and was broken in a way that I've literally never experienced with another person. I've never seen a person hurt so much over their own actions as I saw in him that night. And I think Steve, maybe you talked about it, or or this came up in the last episode of like, at that point it was like the ship had sailed. And so he was gonna do whatever his body sort of told him to with anyone because he had already wasted this trophy. You've talked about Becky in conversations off air before about virginity being this trophy. Mm -hmm. He had sort of blown it at that point. And so it was one of those things that has stuck with me all of these years in that moment, I, was still very much a part of that culture. And I tried to comfort him through it. I took him to see our youth pastor and be like, he lost his virginity and he's very upset. And I'm very upset on his behalf. It was this great big moment, this formative moment in my Mm. adolescence and probably actually fed the fear. And the. it sort of reinforced the guardrails of fear and shame to keep me from ever making the same, you know, quote, mistake and so that's just a story that really jumps out at me about what purity culture looked like for me in real time, watching mm-hmm. it unfold in the life of a person who was only actually doing something that was perfectly normal and natural, and not that it was necessarily a, to do
2: on dares. Yeah, really like I'm not, sad. I'm not
0: trying to justify the context of his actions, but they certainly didn't.
2: And I'm not shaming it. I'm just saying, like that's such a hard, yeah, because it was peer pressure. That's right. That's that right. Actually that actually like led consent. him
1: into.
4: Something that his body wanted, something Mm -hmm. that his soul didn't, yeah. But I want to say, actually, there was probably something deep inside of him that was curious, and there was just I want to say he was kind of like really honestly. The language I would use is he was kind of a horny teenager. Oh, that's okay, and and that's That's actually a natural part, Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that that's one of the things that we don't. Teenagers don't recognize how much testosterone, and boys especially don't realize how much testosterone is actually running and surging through their system as they're going through puberty and things like that. Dr. Daniel Amin talks about the fact that if testosterone were beer, boys on average before puberty have the equivalent of about eight ounces of it running through their system on a daily basis. When they go through puberty, they have the equivalent of a gallon. Wow. Of beer going, so literally of testosterone. If testosterone were beer, they have the equivalent of a gallon, one to two gallons going through their system every day. And the testosterone is needed for the purpose of what it's developing in the body, but it literally is also something that's like, because of what it's developing in the body, it feels overwhelming. And I want to say boys feel kind of drunk they don't know what to do with that, and if they don't have people beside them helping them in that scenario, friend scenario, where were the adults?
0: Yeah, in well, the
4: room with them. The saddest part is the shame, because right. shame suddenly became the only script he had given his theological background, mm-hmm. and so he grabbed hold of that. Versus, did anybody ask him about what you actually experience? Yeah, well, and then that's if actually you, true. If yeah, if
2: you feel wasted what is the basis of your decision-making about intimate partners after that decision versus like the consent and wholeness you bring yourself to each partner? Like I remember being in junior high youth group. It's like sixth or seventh grade. And they separate the boys and the girls and these female leaders go into the, with the girls and the male leaders go with the boys and they glued two pieces of colored construction paper, which honestly oh, has yeah. no integrity for paper.
0: <laughs> it's very flimsy.
2: <laughs> And then they say, this is what happens when you have sex. And then they rip those two pieces of paper apart after being glued with like Elmer's white glue. And inevitably what happens is it's just a disheveled mess of paper and say, this is who you are Yeah. after you yeah. have sex. And then that's why you need to wait. And then my female youth group leader proceeded to tell us a story. There was like maybe 12 girls or so gathered in a circle. And she says, you know, I had this best friend and she got engaged and they were going to wait until they were married, and she was very vigilant to wait, because that's what God wants from us. And the night before their wedding, she agreed to have sex with her fiancé, and then he jilted her at the altar. And nowhere in the story was there, poor woman, yeah. that this guy bailed on her. It was, and she gave it away.
0: She got what she deserved.
2: And she got what she deserved. And so that's why it's very important to wait up to the moment that the vows are spoken and said, and God has, you know, in essence approved the marriage and then you can consecrate. Like, and I've heard that story in my brain, you know, mm. and, and I waited until I was married and I was vigilant after that story because I was like, that's not going to be me. And there was something in the way she told the story, which also communicated the reason he left her. It's because she gave him, no one's going right. to buy the cow if you go the milk away for free. Right. Oh my I've gosh. heard that my whole life. I still hear that. Which is yeah.
0: problematic in lots of ways.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of problems. <laughs> um, dairy issues. No okay? kidding. But, like, <laughs> no, a but vegan, is it let grass me just fed say, cow? Yeah. Or, like, you know, but yeah, I mean, I'm just like, that is a very small, singular story and a product of purity culture. Mm-hmm. But I, so many of my friends have similar stories.
4: But it also reinforces a theology mm-hmm. that God is a one risk God. Mm. And God only has enough grace to cover one act of direct disobedience. I mean, I, and I'm like going, that's not Jesus." I mean, Jesus is hanging out with people who are on the fringe, people who are prostitutes, people who are stealing money from people. I mean, that's what actually is messed up about that theology is that God Only expects us to do things perfectly.
2: Well, and apparently Solomon was the wisest man on earth and he had a thousand concubines. Yeah, those were, yeah. Anybody?
3: But also, like that story of the man who leaves the bride on the wedding day after sleeping with her. A normal, and I'm doing air quotes right now. A normal reaction to that would be, "Thank God, like you just dodged a huge bullet." Agreed. Like
0: good
4: expensive, thing expensive bullet because yeah. of wedding. the
3: wedding, but and the divorce but, and the imminent divorce. Like, I mean, that is the healthy response to that. Yes, it and is healthy. You're in pain, and I get that, and that sucks. And
0: that
2: guy's whew, that guy sucks.
3: You know, that guy sucks. Versus yeah. Instead, the opposite, it's your fault. You yeah. slept with them. You ruined this. This perfect man who would have been perfect for you left you because you're a filthy whore.
2: You know, I mean, that's the message. Or like on an that's emotional crazy. reality. When I was in college, I Kissed Dating Goodbye was a really big book. Mm-hmm. And for those people that might not be familiar with that book, the premise of that book is you should reserve all physical acts, including kissing and including dating. You're going to go back to a courting system mm-hmm. of of courting a woman. And then when you marry her, then you can do like the holding hands, kissing, like all that kind of stuff. Also reserving, I love you. I think, I believe was a part of that book. I don't know if it was, but that was a conclusion that many guys I went to college with at least drew from that book. Mm-hmm. So it happened to me. It happened to other girlfriends I knew where there were guys that refrained to tell the women that they were, had been in relationship with for one to two plus years, that they loved them and it caused a lot of emotional turmoil. Like I won't, I can't tell you I love you till I am proposed to you. So it wasn't just I have to wait to kiss you till I'm married. It was I have to wait to identify the emotions in reality that are actually happening
4: mm-hmm.
2: because of some idea that all of this has to wait for these like actions to be in place, mm-hmm. which would be engagement and marriage. And since then, Joshua Harris has rescinded mm-hmm. the book that he wrote. And I watched this documentary on Prime where he spends like an hour and a half basically apologizing to people who said, you know, this theology ruined my life. Yeah. But I want to say what we're talking about is theology
4: from a 17-year-old Exactly. kid.
3: That some publishing company saw Saw as this is big time dollars. And the
4: religious community grabbed hold of it and went, oh my gosh, we have the answer. And so I want to say even he was exploited. I absolutely agree. I'm not hating on him. I'm just saying like, jeez. But what I'm recognizing, because you guys were actually going through, you were on the, I'm older. I was the mother that went, oh my gosh, maybe I can protect my girls. And I brought the book home. I read the book. I brought it home. I didn't act when I read it. I remember thinking, Oh, this, I don't agree with this, but I brought it to my then like 15 year old daughter. And she read the first chapter and she said, And she looked at me and she goes, There is no way I'm waiting to kiss somebody. I want to feel that now. And she slammed the book down on the table and handed it back to me. And I realized there was this moment. I mean, I have a very strong daughter. And I was like, That's right. That's right. And I took the book out and threw it in the garbage. I just realized that I didn't really actually believe it, but I actually heard my daughter. And I, I, but I was my, the reason I brought it in, I wanted to protect her because I knew some of my own sexual choices had created sexual pain that my husband and I had to work through. And I think that's legitimate. But the reality is, the wisdom was something was awakening in her. And she was like, I'm not shutting this down. You are not shutting this down in me. And I was like, yeah, not, I can't do that.
0: So I've always been super impressed when we've talked about how you did sort of move forward with your daughters. Mm-hmm. Would you be up for talking about that? Like, how did you lead your daughters through Navigating this, yeah, this very difficult, a conversation that I'm guessing lots of people who are listening have no idea how to have with their Mm -hmm. kids.
4: You know, I think at some point, Ashley asked me, she says, do you think your girls would ever come on this? And I was like, oh my gosh, the stories they would probably tell would be. My girls were so much, and this is, I think every parent feels this, they were my trial and errors. Mm. And I have felt incredible shame about, oh, I didn't do this right. I didn't do this right because I've I, now I know, oh, I would do this in a different way. But I also know that one of the things that was always on the table is we're going to talk about this. So one of the things that I did repeatedly, I was always doing research and I kept all my books out on our coffee table. And what would happen every time their friends would come over, they're like grabbing the books and they're looking at them and they're saying, and they're calling me, Mrs. Patton, can we talk about this? And they're they're talking, and (laughs) I would have conversations with her, their friends about things that oftentimes I was really wanting to speak to my daughters directly. Hmm. And so a lot of the conversations that I had with my daughters were more around the concepts Of sex and the goodness that their dad and I, we as their parents were actually experiencing, those type of things. And I honestly didn't actually share with my kids my own sexual abuse, what had happened to me until they were in their teens. And that was by a therapist who had told me not to, I mean, to notice when they were actually ready. And I had one daughter who was ready to hear it and had this element of being able to hold it. Mm -hmm. And the other one, like literally when I started to tell her, she says, I think I know what you're gonna tell me and you can't tell me. Wow. I'm not ready. And I was like, okay, will you tell me when you are ready? And then she came back to me and was able to ask at one point, "Mom, mom, I think I need to know now. And it was, and she was actually two years older than when I had actually tried. And it was like the element of that is being able to be attuned enough to your kids to not just use them as a place of... I had reasons why I wanted to protect my kids, but I also knew that I couldn't transfer my story onto their story. Mm. And I had to be really aware of when they were asking me things about sex or they were asking me things about their body. I had to be really careful and aware that I wasn't transferring my own sexual knowledge and pain onto them, that they were asking from that perspective. So one of the things my kids asked me point blank, did you and dad wait until you were married to have sex? And I was like, no, we didn't. I mean, I had a choice. I could lie to them and I, or I could create a story around it. And the reality was we didn't. But by that time, I had actually already done some work and I had embraced that part of my story so I could actually have information, context to give them around that. And what I knew was real about that part of our story is there was something about him that when I began having sex with him, I knew that there was something different here. And so one of the challenges I often put towards my kids is, I'm not as concerned about when you have sex, I'm more concerned about why you're having it. What you're doing with your body is really, really important, and it's going to have long-term effect. So why are you doing this? So one of my daughters decided that she wanted to experience what it was to be kissed. And so she picked this guy at school that she decided she, I mean, I'm not saying this is, I I will not tell you which daughter did this, but the reality (laughs) is she picked who she was going to kiss and she decided, I want to know what this feels like. And so she literally went out with him in order to get that experience of being kissed. And that was like, oh, that feels good. I don't want any more of that right now because I don't want to be tied here because she had aspirations of what she wanted to do. And so she had a real physical experience, I want to say, that it was real and she was able to talk about it and be able to set boundaries for herself that
2: were coming from internal versus from external, I want to say. So when I when I first met you, we were having tacos mm-hmm. and you shared something with me about our skin, right? Has like a longing, our bodies have longings and the making decisions to be with somebody out of like a biological desire mm-hmm. versus like a full mind, body, spirit desire. Mm-hmm. And the idea of self-pleasuring, that was so informative for me mm-hmm. and very life-changing. And and I'd be curious if you'd be willing to share that. Yeah. Our skin
4: actually longs for touch. It's interesting. When I was in Haiti one time and I was on a missions trip, they had a group of babies that they had there that broke my heart. I'd pick up like two or three of them and I'm holding them and I'm like caressing them and holding them. And these babies are just crawling all over me. And the nuns finally came in and they said to me, you can't do this to the babies. We're asking you to feed them don't touch them. Leave them in the crib, because she says we don't have enough people to meet the child's need, and all we're trying to do is keep them alive in a way that if their parents come back, the parents will have a baby that's actually alive. And I mean, now I'm an aide on the enneagram, and I was like, "You are not going to tell me not to do this," but I was disrupting a system, and their skin was so hungry for physical touch. Like literally I had one baby that just put his mouth on my arm right here and just like attached his little gums there and just wouldn't let go, just wouldn't let go. He was so hungry for touch, these babies. But you have to understand there were like 30 or 40 cribs and there are three people to care for them. And I was only there for a week. So, The skin actually craves physical touch in a way that helps us to survive. One of the things that we see happen over and over again, and this is why I think it's so very important we recognize our need for touch, is young girls, when they're going through puberty, they begin to develop physically in ways that makes dads, a lot of times, begin to feel attracted to their own daughters. And it it feels shameful to them. And they're like, oh my gosh, like we had an instance where we went on vacation and from September, and then all of a sudden we're in February and our oldest daughter is putting on a bathing suit and I had had to go get her a new bathing suit because she was starting to develop breasts and she walks out and my husband's jaw drops and I had to gently reach over and push his jaw up. And I said, your daughter now has breasts. Are you going to recognize she still needs physical touch from you? we were able to recognize the thing is that we don't talk about is there can be an actual physical attraction dads can feel towards their daughters. Well, their daughter is actually looking a little bit like a younger version of their mom, possibly. Mm -hmm. So there's that element. And it's, I think a lot of men feel shame around it. And that's a lot of times what we know is statistically when men stop touching their daughters. Now, I know boys need touch just as much as girls. So I'm not trying to make this just a female thing. It's just I had girls. And I would literally have to repeat to my husband, you need to touch her. She needs a hug. And he was like, I know, I know. But it's like there's this element I don't want to step over a line. I get that. You're not going to not do this. You have to do this. And it was this beautiful tension between us i found myself repeatedly touching my girls but what they needed is they actually needed their dad's touch and i think boys i find that with my nephews i find myself physically touching them in ways knowing intentionally i want to share my oxytocin which is a bonding element with them i want to share that with them in a way that's healthy And so with my girls, one of the things that I was very clear about is you need physical touch every single day, especially when they went off to college. I was like, you're going to need physical touch every single day. Can you recognize that that about yourself? Where are you going to get that in healthy ways? Mm -hmm. And so when they went off, one of the things I did is I sent both of my girls off to college with a vibrator. Because I knew they were going to be having these dates with boys. And I said, I don't want you to feel that sexual tension in a way that you haven't first cared for yourself. I want you to actually be able to be present to who you're with and not just feeling the sexual tension of attraction. that you're Not feeling. just scratching the edge. Yeah. So can you care for yourself before you enter into the relationship? So you're not using the relationship to try and care for and get the physical touch that you actually long for.
2: Which actually gives you like more mindful consent because you're not being driven by your hormones. You're
4: not being driven by your hormones. And I think that there is something that feels very, very, I'm not trying to set this up. Like I did everything right. I didn't. But what I did is I knew enough to say, I want to make sure that you have some tools in your toolbox when you enter into this. And I really honestly let go of marriage being the key element that would, validate their sexual engagement? Because I honestly didn't think that was, I couldn't profess it because I hadn't experienced it because I actually felt tied and bonded to my current husband before I was married. And sex was a part of it, but there was an emotional element as well. Mm
2: -hmm. So. I can't imagine what it would have been like to have grown up with an adult that I trusted that loved God, who was telling me, Hey, you should honor your body. You should listen to your body. You should take care of yourself. Your body has biological, physical, sexual desires that are not good or bad, but biological responses. And so, tending to yourself is actually really healthy versus tending to yourself is really shameful. And I think about how many girlfriends confessed to me and male friends that they were confessing that that they were masturbating. And you know, before I got married, my ex husband and I had waited. You know, he told me he was going to self-pleasure the morning of the wedding, because that was advice he had been given, mm-hmm. and I was horrified by it, because yeah. I was like, "Well, masturbation is simple." Mm. And so I called my mentor, who's this amazing woman, and now we're more friend tours, I feel like, not to be I've confused never heard with that. minotaurs. They're also, <laughs> magical. We Fren- call it frenators, frentor, frentor, uh, um, like mythical that.
3: magical
0: creatures.
2: Yeah, yeah, frentors are also mythical and magical, but they're rare to find. But she actually was like, "Oh, Teef," she's like, "That's not a big deal at all. That's awesome. That's actually really smart. It's really wise." And it was the first time in my life that I had even heard the idea at twenty-seven that masturbation wasn't fully sinful. And I just think that, like, how powerful would that be? because what you're communicating underneath all of it is that sex is good, sex is a biological need that you don't need to be ashamed of. And here's how you can tend to yourself in a healthy way so that as you make decisions, you're not making it out of desperation, but you're making it out of real consent. Mm-hmm. Cuz can you have consent when you're desperate and lonely? Like like I'm just asking. Like I'm just yeah, I'm I just th- thinking through it all. Well, I think
4: what's interesting is and this is what I think is the most sad about that statement, period, is I think there's a lot of times our consent is for, I want to be held. Yeah. And that's like, wow. that's a good yeah. desire. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. But I want to say, when you're not able to have the real conversation, someone else may take that, I want to be held as, oh, they're saying yes. Uh. And wow. I think that's where we've gotten into mm. a lot of people that their bodies have been used mm. when what they were really longing for is comfort and connection. Comforting. Yeah. And I think that's what makes me most sad when I hear mm. some of these stories is because the reality is their actual need was to actually feel like they were seen connected. and valued and connected. And then that, Felt to the other person like consent.
2: Yeah, and then that person uh, ends up engaging in a sexual act and feeling emptier and lonelier, potentially. Mm. Yeah, because their real need wasn't met. Their which real was need connection. was actually
4: connection mm. and emotional. I want to say actually, our emotions are like these. It's a beautiful cacophony that when we start to open it, it feels overwhelming, mm. and so we're really quick. To pull it back in. Mm. And the danger is when we pull it back in, we'll settle for something that's physical in order to silence Mm. the emotional that is raging underneath Mm. the surface in desire. And that's why I think it's so important that we teach people, young people, how to engage in desire to notice and be in tune to their
2: bodies and not have to fear their bodies. I'm also hearing again how much our bodies are in sync with our emotional landscape. Oh. And the fact that our, we will send out a biological chemical out of our skin mm-hmm. to other humans around us. And our skin is communicating to the other person's skin, mm-hmm. touch me, touch me, touch me, touch me, touch mm-hmm. me. Because our heart and our emotional landscape is saying, I'm really lonely. And our body is telling the truth. Our body is telling the truth and and we need it. that is wild. Yeah. And so amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm just remembering back to an experience I had where I had been set up on a date with a man by my mom. She did a great job. Post or pre-divorce? Post-divorce. Okay. So this is like in that season of trying to determine what does relationship look like and I'm in this desperate place. And I remember... We had gone out a couple times and he was from my hometown. He was visiting the cities. And so it was just like a two week thing and we had gone out a couple times. And I remember the last night he was in town and he just said to me, He's like, I can feel you're hungry for connection. Wow. And that was one of the most pivotal moments in my healing journey because he was able to name something that I couldn't for myself. And it was after that experience, because then that was like the last night I saw him. He left to go home. I had flew to LA for some work stuff. And that was actually the moment that I actually started my deep inner work of how do I get reconnected to myself? Because no man can answer that for me. That's true. Mm -hmm. And what I had been doing was shopping that around. Well, you'd been settling Mm. for
4: little snippets of it and they were satisfying Mm -hmm. the itch. Exactly. For a moment, but they weren't actually mm-hmm. satisfying the deep well of longing that you exactly. had. So that was my experience yes.
2: too, Ashley, like mm-hmm. post-divorce where you're mm-hmm. just like, how do I navigate mm-hmm. this new frontier and then I have these mm-hmm. deep needs and this mm-hmm. deep woundedness
0: mm-hmm.
2: from an expectation that I thought all these things were going to be mm-hmm. met
1: mm-hmm. and then they weren't. Mm-hmm. And the fact that in my marriage, given our situation... Intimacy was just very tumultuous. Absolutely. And so it was just relearning that like mm-hmm. even like what it meant to be with someone. And but I realized how much I was guarding my heart. You know, it was mm-hmm. like I'm just putting up this protective wall cuz that's actually so much more vulnerable.
4: Mhm. Oh, the emotional to depth show up is with so that. much, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It was yeah. way easier to show up with my body mm-hmm. than it was to show up with my heart.
2: Wow. Thank you for
1: sharing
3: that. Yeah. 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 Wow. I mean, I am wondering if in purity culture there's this rule that you don't give your body away. So that's not an option. So you try to have an emotional connection. And then maybe when you move beyond purity culture and you say, I'm going to go there, I'm going to give, I'm going to do the physical thing. What I'm hearing from you actually that sounds so profound is there is just a remembering that needs to happen about what even how do I even locate what I'm really desiring and searching for? Is that true? I mean, is that what you mm-hmm. were dealing with?
1: Yeah, I would say in so many ways, I think it's really interesting how much you're my own self-esteem in that journey. Like I think about if I chronicle the men that I like started dating post my divorce, the bar was pretty low. Mm -hmm. And then as I like progressed with my own healing, (laughs) the bar got higher. It was pretty low. I want to say at the beginning (laughs) girl, like having walked with you, I remember asking you at one point going,
4: okay, is that all you want in a relationship?
0: And I mean, time, I do remember saying maybe. that. Yeah. No yeah. judgment, but it was, there, there, oh, was. there I, I was. Yeah. But I was,
4: I was advocating yeah. for more for you That's yeah. what I was advocating but for. But I think
1: that's so much, like there's the interconnectedness of how we see ourselves mm-hmm. and what we believe that we deserve mm-hmm. and all those things. So to walk into that. And so just as I chronicle that and I think about this man, he treated me so well Yeah. in that process. And I don't know, the beauty in what he showed me in that and what was possible. Mm-hmm. And oh, I want to say, actually, what he did is he
4: saw you in that moment mm-hmm. and held a mirror up mm-hmm. and you
1: didn't run away. Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: And I will say mm-hmm. the gift that he gave me, because I think about like modern day dating mm-hmm. and the ability to text each other. Yeah. Post a experience. And we had like one follow up text after that, but then it just ended. And it wasn't like he tried to like re-engage or whatever. It just was like, this was an experience that happened. And I let it be a definitive moment for an invitation for my own healing instead of trying to re-go back to that same relationship and try and divulge more from it. And I remember sitting in my apartment and having this moment of like, this is the day it changes.
3: See, for me, actually, that's what's so profound about this story is that as I'm listening to it, it just would have been so easy for you to go, oh my, this is what I need. This man, this kind of man who asked these kinds of questions. And maybe you did, maybe that was fine. But instead you chose the deeper route of going, no, no, I need to notice what this is. This is an invitation for me to really do my work. That's Mm -hmm. profound. And then to be okay with like, this is what that was this mm-hmm. this relationship existed for these two weeks and now it's over and I am going to let it go and I need to let it go mm-hmm. and now it's time for me to do my work. Mm-hmm. That's profound.
2: I have found that there is a sneaky narrative inside purity culture that is a Disney narrative, which is a man will save a woman and rescue a woman yeah, from her problems yeah. and he will complete her. And I had a profound moment this past summer for myself after I had... I talked to a handful of guys in the last two years basically post my divorce and and really like we none of us officially dated. There's just like a lot of conversations, some interactions, you know, and I had this revelatory moment walking my dog after just feeling really disconnected and I wasn't online dating or anything like that. I just like felt really disengaged from the entire process and I realized I was feeling a gentle breeze, which is where I have a lot of revelations and it was around the anniversary of my dad dying. 12 years prior. And I had this moment, I sat by his bedside, desperate for him to wake up out of a coma that he was in for almost 48 hours. I flew home. I was going home every other week and my head cancer. I got there too late. He had gone into his coma. And I stayed awake for 36 hours waiting for him to wake up. And I finally asked myself 12 years later, I said, what was I hoping for? Yeah. What did I think he was going to say? And I realized, I was like, oh my goodness, Latifa, I wanted him to say... I'm really sorry for never being emotionally available to you. I'm sorry for the ways that I was not there for you as a dad. I'm sorry that I wanted you to meet my emotional needs before I ever considered meeting your emotional needs. And that just never happened. And so I was like, oh my God, every romantic thing that I have ever chased has been me looping this narrative of can I find a man who's maybe charismatic and amazing and interesting and complex and intelligent and all those things, but I'm repeating this story of somebody who's not emotionally available to me because I'm trying to get a different ending. Yeah. And I stopped in the middle of the road and I said, all right, God, universe, I get it. I'm not going to do that anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm done chasing down, trying to relive this narrative. Mm-hmm. I need to deal with me. And I put myself in what I call the goddess of my own man void, where yes. we're emotionally unavailable men. We're n- no longer welcome. And you are welcome into my desert if you can meet your own emotional needs. <laughs> and then we can help meet each other's in a respectful, healthy yeah. way. And I am so grateful for that revelation. It changed everything for me. And it really felt like a divine moment. And all of a sudden, my fear of like, I am never going to like be satisfied by someone and because I need that to be happy. And so, well, maybe I'll just figure out how to have sex in a healthy, somehow consensual way with people that can never really be in a relationship with me. Like I just, I was trying all these ideas on and I was like, this is never going to work. Maybe I'm just going to be in a void, you know? Like I just, I realized I needed to take care of dealing with my own dysfunction and it's been so much more
1: empowering, Mm -hmm. you know? There's actually an important part to the story that if I left out would do disservice to the whole mm. 48 hours that encircled after that. So after I have this experience, so I get on a plane to go to L.A. to do a shoot, a video shoot we were doing, crazy couple days, it's long hours, and then we wrap, and I had extended my trip, and it's in Santa Monica, it's this hotel that overlooks the ocean, and we, I was upstairs with our producer, and having cocktails or whatever, and I meet this guy, and <laughs> I'm having too much to drink. He's having to, much- and it turns into this just chemistry. And I'm, yeah. it was one of those like movie moments, you know, just kind of thing. Yeah. And we're making it on the elevator. Like, totally. I'm just like, you I, got the I, elevator make out? Yes, to the Girl. wind. I don't know anybody. This is great. Yeah. But what ends up happening is there were some disclaimer, bad decisions made throughout the course of this evening. I will say that. So cocktails are had. I drive him to his place so that that great decision there but this was part of the season of my life i Mm -hmm. was making poor decision after poor decision after poor Mm -hmm. decision and i remember being in this car with this man whose name i didn't know how to pronounce because he was from the middle east very attractive yes he's israeli (laughs) and i basically tell like i'm not gonna have sex with you and he gets super upset with me it was like kind of like you've been leading me on Mm -hmm. and in that moment i'm realizing my whole crew is flying out the next day. Oh my I'm gosh. staying here by myself. Oh no. If something happens with this man whose name I do not know, no one will know. And it was that combined with my heart being opened over the course of these couple of weeks. Mm. Then I came home and had this moment of like, I have put myself in physical danger. Yeah. This is not working for me anymore. Yeah. And how do I begin a healing journey that is actually protecting myself because I've been waiting that's right. for someone yeah. to protect me and I am my own savior. In that or, or somehow
2: like make you uncover the work you need to do Yeah, when it's really your work to do. Yes. And how can I come to a relationship in more wholeness mm-hmm. with the expectation of, I don't need you to make me whole, mm-hmm. but like, can we navigate wholeness together? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a totally different posture. Mm-hmm. But when you're young and you're waiting and
1: you're eager, it's just, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. And you've been told the story that mm-hmm. a man's going to come along and do that for you. Mm-hmm. Save you. You know, like the princess narrative, the Disney narrative. Mm-hmm. So That's why they never make Cinderella the day after, you know? That's right.
3: Cinderella, the next chapter.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: the day after tomorrow. <laughs>
3: it occurs to me the promise of purity culture was do it right, get it right, and you'll live happily ever after. But what I'm hearing really is, is this quote by Julian of Norwich, I think, the fall and I'm not getting this exactly right, but in the grace after the fall, mm. and both are the mercy of God. Wow. So it seems like the path to wholeness is simply picking up where you fucked up and <laughs> and going from there and being mm. honest about this is where I have gone with my desires, good or bad, whatever. Let's not even make a, 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 a moral judgment on either one. But now I have a friend that's in the 12 steps and she goes step zero before you get to step one is this shit has got to stop Mm -hmm. That's step zero. And that's what it sounds like, you know, so thank you for adding that extra little piece in there because I think that 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 makes it even more human and real is that you have this beautiful transcendent experience and then you did what you did. You did what you were all we're doing for. And then it's like, okay, hold on.
2: Well, and I will say like, there are people where the purity culture narrative has worked out for them. Like I have friends who waited and have ended up with really wonderful partners Mm -hmm. and you know, they will probably be married their whole lives. And I love their marriages. Mm-hmm. I love their relationships. I love their partnership. I'm an advocate of them being together and it just worked for them. And that's just the crapshoot. I yes. think sometimes yes. Yeah. like, yes, you just ended up with somebody who's also willing to do their work, yeah. also devoted, also kind. And so what's hard is when you're in the other part of the crapshoot where it didn't really land on red, you know, and that's what you were yes. betting on. And then somebody approaches you where it has worked for them and they've attached spiritual language to that, that's where it gets really problematic. Mm -hmm. And that's where we need ways to discuss and talk about how do we navigate through this. That's not Mm -hmm. just like, well, it worked for me. Mm -hmm. Like God rewarded me.
1: Nadia Boltzweber has a great part of her book, Shameless. I'm pretty sure this is in the book, but she shared it at one of her book tour. But this idea of concentric circles in mm. the smallest circle in the middle are those stories. Yeah. The ones that worked out. The ones that worked mm-hmm, out. And mm-hmm, then it moves out mm-hmm. from there. Mm-hmm. And That's so, good. yes, That's it's good. true. And there's so many of us that are caught in those larger rings of the yeah. circles. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: There's this element of, statements of what healthy sexuality is. And Steve, you helped write some of this, but one of the statements is healthy sexuality affirms that sensuality and desire can be honored and explored in ways that are good. Therefore we'll seek to be attentive in caring for our bodies, natural responses in a way that honor the integration of body, mind, and soul. Wow. And that story is part of that. Your body was having an experience Your mind had heard something else, and your soul was crying out for something more. And here's the whole thing is, God's not going to heal who we think we are. God is going to actually meet us where we actually are.
2: Wow.
0: This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. All the music you heard in this episode was composed, produced, and licensed by the fine folks at blue.sessions.com. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at FunPartsPodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Mill Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. So if we're going to talk about spirituality and sexuality being intentionally intertwined, for me, they are intertwined but in the wrong way, and I feel like they ha- that uh-huh. has to be detangled first. For me, because for me, even 12 years into marriage, there's some wiring in me that thinks sex is wrong, morally so, spiritually so. And so, how do I begin to deconstruct that so that I can be intentional in my understanding of the ways in which spirituality and sexuality are intertwined?